This morning's gospel reading comes from the book of John. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. And in that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Thank you, Anna. As we're moving through uh, John's gospel, we're taking some big chunks and... Uh, so that's a long passage to read, so thank you for doing that for us this morning. Um, we're, you know, we're in this section of, of John's gospel. If you've ever read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you get to John and you immediately realize John is different than all the rest. And we've said this many times already, but John calls himself the disciple that, that Jesus loved. And what I think that John is telling us is that I finally believe that I belong to Jesus, that he is mine and I am his, and I want to show you Jesus. I want you to see what he's like. 
I want you to come and see. We, at the very beginning of this gospel, we hear that over and over again. Come and see. I want you to come and see Jesus so that you might live, so you can see what I have seen. And in this section, as we're leading up um, to, to Jesus' death, really all the outside work has been finished. That Jesus has withdrawn from the crowds, he's withdrawn from the world, and now he's with his disciples. And his disciples, as we're going to see this morning, they're, they're scared and they're confused, and they don't really know what is happening. And Jesus takes this time to, to talk directly to them and to minister to them. And I love these words. I, I hope that as we listen to Jesus talking to his disciples this morning, that what we hear is that he is talking to us too. And so let me take just a minute before we think about this to pray for us. Father, um, help us this morning. I pray that you, would, that you would truly open our eyes, that you would help us to see, that you would open our ears so that we might hear. Father, that we know that all things are laid bare before you, that you see us as we are, you see our, our fears and our hopes. And so, Father, this morning I pray that we could honestly bring them to Jesus, that he might say these words to us that we long to hear. Let not your heart be troubled. Father, do that for us this morning by your spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, you remember some of the things that you were afraid of when you were growing up? Now, some of you are here this morning or maybe still quite young. You might think about some of the things even now that you're afraid of. I remember when I was, I'm going to pick on myself here for a minute. I remember when I was, when I was really young, um, really leading up to probably an age where this shouldn't have been the case anymore. I was like really scared to put my face under the water. And so I would avoid, you know, I was that kid in the pool that's like this because I was avoiding at all costs wanting to put my head under the water. And as I got a little older, you know, and there was like, I need to do this, it would be always, you know, holding my nose until an age where I was like kind of embarrassed of it um, because there was just this fear. I had this fear of like submerging my head underwater, which when I think about it now is actually pretty rational, right? Uh, you know, I remember when I was growing up, I was, I was really terrified of, this is going to get gross for a minute, I was terrified of vomiting. I was terrified of throwing up. And, you know, to this day, I still am. And so for the last, like, 20 years, I think I've thrown up one time. I have some sort of amazing ability to suppress it. And if you're new here this morning, you may not have known that you would get an insight into the frequency of the pastor's vomiting. But... I'm still afraid of that. I was afraid of that when I was a little kid. I remember being afraid of, you know, like when my parents might go out and I was waiting for them to come back home. And they kind of said what time they were coming back and, and they didn't come back at that time. And I remember that fear of thinking, what if they don't come back? Like, what happens? I remember being really afraid of... of of maybe, what, what would that mean if I'm abandoned, if, if I lose them? And as I got a little older, those fears began to switch to the fear of, of what other people thought of me. You know, of being in, in middle school and then of high school and like trying awkwardly to figure out who I was and 
do people, do people want to be around me or do they not want to be around me? And, and what, if they, what if nobody likes me? What if I'm rejected? And then that feeling of, you know, for the first time really in my life, understanding what was going on inside of me. And what was going on inside of me was not necessarily matching up with the perception that I gave on the outside. And so what I realized was that in here was all of this stuff that if it were out there, I would be terrified if anybody saw it. That there were thoughts and there were patterns and there was um, behavior that you're just like, I, what, if people really knew me, would they really, would they want to be around me? Would they want to be um, close to me? And there was a fear. You know, maybe you felt that way before because fear is just a stark reality of living in this world, Right? Fear is a stark reality of living in this world. And I mean, this world can be incredibly scary. It can be scary on those micro levels, kind of that I was talking about at the beginning, but it can be scary on these macro levels as well. And it doesn't like magically disappear the older you get. I'm not trying to be depressing, but if you think about it, the older you get and you, you kind of get more responsibilities and you might... Um, get a job and you've got a little bit of money in the bank and there's certain things that you're able to control. Maybe you've got a family and you've got kids and what you find is that there's more things to be afraid of, right? My world just got a lot bigger and what if I mess it up? And one of the things that we tend to think is that maybe we're the only ones who have those kind of fears, you know, maybe, maybe I'm the only one who is worried about this or this. And I think the dirty little secret that shouldn't be a secret to any of us anymore as we come into church is that, that all of us have those fears. That all of us struggle every day um, to believe what is actually true. That all of us are worried about what other people might think of us. That all of us are fearful that maybe we'll be rejected or maybe that we'll experience some kind of suffering or trial. And am I going to be able to endure it? That no matter how confident looking a person is on the outside, it doesn't mean that they struggle in that way. In fact, sometimes even our confidence is this way of masking our fear. You need to know this morning that you're not alone in those fears. That you're not alone in those worries. But what you also need to know, what we, we also as Christians need to know this morning, is that that is not the way that it's supposed to be. That to live in, in constant turmoil, to live in constant fear, is not the way that it's supposed to be. It's normal, but it's not natural. It's a normal experience to every single one of us in this room, as we're going to see in a minute. It was a very normal experience for Jesus' disciples, but it's not natural because we were created, and as we talk about all the time, we were created to live fully before the face of God without any fear and without any guilt and without any shame, to be fully known by him, to not hide from him. But what we all know is that when sin entered into this world, 
when man and woman said to God, um, I'm not sure that I trust you. I'm not sure, essentially, that you're really good, that you are who you say you are. Everything came undone, and everything broke. And the next thing we see is Adam and Eve hiding behind the shrubs. Hiding from God and then covering themselves so that they could hide from one another. And we we see, like, humanity from that point forward is this attempt to find something that will relieve this, this nagging and this aching fear because we've been separated from the only place where there is comfort and security and hope and peace. And you see, grasping maybe at every angle and at every corner for something that will do away with our fear. What do you do with your fear? Now, some of us might not think about it. Even as I'm talking about this morning, you might not even think about the fact that you're afraid of things because your life is so busy that you don't give yourself an opportunity to. And maybe one of the reasons that your life is so full and so busy is because if we stop for a few minutes, we're going to have to think about the reason that our life is so full and busy. And one of the things that we might have to admit is that I'm doing it this way so that I can try to hold everything together so that I don't have to feel afraid anymore. Maybe that's some of us even this morning. You know, the good news in this passage and the good news that Jesus brings us is not I think sometimes we want, we get frustrated with the Bible because we want to open the Bible and we want to turn to a certain page and we want to say, we want to see, this is what will comfort me, God. Um, right here in John 14, it says, Tim Udodge's life is going to look exactly like this from start to finish. That's what I want. I want to know every step. I want to know every detail. And the comfort and the good news that Jesus gives us this morning is not a description of what your life is going to look like. And it's not flippant. It's not saying simply, oh, it's going to be okay, and giving a little pat on the back. Jesus isn't giving us more advice about like a fulfilling life or ways that we make our lives more full. He's here to tell us that I, I am the way. I am the way. That's what he's telling us this morning. And John says at the end of this gospel that he wrote it so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and in believing in him, you might have life. And Jesus tells us in John 10, 10, what I want to give you is I want to give you life. I want to give you life that is abundant. And what we tend to think is I look at my life and I'm like, this doesn't feel abundant. This doesn't feel like what I think it's supposed to feel like. So I wonder, and I'm fearful, and I, and I think, is he near me? Is he with me? When all of our fears begin to dissipate in the face of Jesus, as we gaze upon Jesus, as we take Jesus at his word, as we listen to Jesus, what begins to happen is that we begin to finally, this is what he wants for us, we begin to finally be able to live. That we, this is what freedom looks like. And so this morning, I just want to look at a couple things. What it, I want to look at, really simply, there are so many things going on in this passage, but I'm going to narrow them down to two things. 
I want to look at the fears that the disciples are wrestling with. And then I want to look at the way that Jesus answers those fears. The fears of the disciples and the way that Jesus answers and speaks to those fears. So Jesus has these men that are not, you know, they're not morally superior. That's not why he chose them. They're not that religiously astute. That's not why he's, they're his disciples. They're these really pretty common men who are gathered with him, who have been walking with him for a few years. And he has them huddled into this room. And what he's doing is he's preparing them for what is about to come, but he's also preparing them to build the church. They don't know that. They're confused. They're afraid. And one of the things, one of the first things that I think is is most prevalent in their minds, one of the big fears in their minds is this fear of abandonment. This fear of abandonment. I mean, you see it all over this passage that you got to understand that what's happening here is that everything is beginning to fall apart, or at least that's what they think. Because they've been walking with Jesus, they've been seeing him do all these things, and now they're getting to a point where, well, one of the ones who's been walking with them, one of these disciples has now betrayed him. And now Peter says, you know, basically um, asserting his own strength, Jesus says, well, you're going to deny me. And then he starts talking about, you know, where I'm going, you can't come. And a little further down in in 14, he says, I'm not going to leave you as, as orphans. Because what he knows is what they're thinking is, we're about to be utterly abandoned. And it's like, we're going to be orphans. What is go- what the world is going on? You know, they've witnessed all these things. They, they've seen what Jesus can do. Um, they even have really attested to the fact that they believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Messiah, and like they're with him, and now they're in Jerusalem. And what they think, probably in their minds, is that this is going to look a certain way, um, that Jesus is probably going to kind of command authority, that Jesus is going to um, sort of maybe, maybe even overflow, overthrow the oppression of the Roman Empire over his people. And they're going to be a part of that. I mean, I imagine that they're thinking that, I don't know what our life is going to be like, but it's at least going to be pretty good if we're with this guy. And now he says, I'm leaving. And they're terrified of being alone. Have you ever been afraid of being alone? I don't think it's something that we talk about a whole lot, but I think it's one of the things that we're probably most afraid of. That we're afraid that somebody is going to walk away from us, that we're afraid that we'll be abandoned, that oftentimes we're afraid maybe that Jesus is not near any longer. Has he, is he still with me? That maybe I wake up in the morning and I think, Um, I used to maybe even kind of feel and see his presence in my life, and now it feels like I'm walking in darkness. Has he abandoned me? If you've ever felt that way, you're not alone. But with that, I think that they're afraid of not knowing the way. And if they're abandoned, then this makes sense, because there's this fear of just not knowing what to do next. And you see it in Thomas's question. You know, Jesus is 
is like, it's okay, you know the way. And Thomas is like, what are you talking about? We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? We don't know what in the world you are talking about. We are terrified that we don't know where to go next. We don't know what to do next. I was at um, Fall for Greenville last night, and I don't, it's a great event. I don't go very often because it's like this, and it's like I've got to buy tickets, and then I've got to go do this. You know, so anyway, um, it was like walking through that crowd. It's changed a lot in the 10 years I've lived here where it is just packed, and walking through that crowd, I start to feel like claustrophobic. And I was thinking, like, what if you took, you know, a a three-year-old and you set them, you know, your three-year-old, you set your three-year-old in the intersection of, like, Washington and Main Street at the height of Fall for Greenville, and you said to them, hey, I'm going to leave, but at some point I'm going to come back, but it's okay, you know the way. And they're like, no, like, where are you going? And then you quickly depart, and they just start running around like in circles looking for you and grabbing people and thinking that you might be their daddy. That's what's going on in this passage. Thomas is like, we don't know where you're going. We don't understand what you're talking about, but we don't want you to leave because we don't know what to do after that. Have you ever felt like you didn't know the way? You didn't know what to do next. You didn't know where to go. I, I mean, I'll confess, this, this week, I had moments this week where I just sat and I thought, I don't know what to do next. Not just like with my day, but like with bigger questions. Like, I don't know if I know the way. Have you ever felt that way? You're not alone. But lastly, I think that there's this implicit fear, and I think it's a huge fear that's looming over the disciples. It's this fear of death. And I think it's there because Jesus probably, you know, he's been talking about along this way, he's been talking about when we get to Jerusalem, they're going to take me and beat me, and then they're going to kill me. And when you read in the other Gospels especially, it's sort of like the disciples are like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, whatever. Uh, And... um, When we get there, can we sit on your right and your left? Like, they're not following. They don't know what he's talking about. But I imagine at this point, in this room, at this solemn moment, those words come flooding back into their minds. And they're thinking, maybe he he really is going to die. And if he dies, what happens to us? I mean, if, if... If we think he's the Christ and he's the Messiah and they capture him and they kill him, then surely the ones who are hanging out with him and following him are going to die some pretty grisly deaths as well. And you see it. I mean, you see the moment he's arrested, they all all run away. Peter's like, I don't know who you're talking about. They're terrified of death. They saw this, you know, they've been with this guy. They've been with one who looked at a tomb we saw a few weeks ago and there was a dead man who had been there for four days and he spoke to that death and Lazarus rose up and came out and they must have been thinking, what else do we have to fear if we're connected to this man who has power over death? But now Jesus is saying, I'm leaving. 
And now those words of his own death are coming back into their minds. And, and what I want you to feel in all of this is like the, the, the feeling in the room is that they are terrified. They are afraid. And as much as we try to push death away from us and our culture and we try to sanitize it and we try just to not think about it, it's something that looms over us as well. Whether it's our own or whether it's somebody that is close to us, it's one of our fears as well. And so how does Jesus, let's take those same categories and let's think about how does Jesus address those things? How does he address the disciples' fear? What about abandonment? Listen to how he talks to them. Just li- I mean, listen to how Jesus talks to his disciples. Like I said, he doesn't lay out, he doesn't say, gather around, they're going to kill me, I'm going to be raised again. The next few years of your life, they're going to be really rough, but it's going to end in like my kingdom coming and the renewal of all things. And, and he doesn't do that. He says instead to them, let not your hearts be troubled. And those are beautiful words because what Jesus, he knows and he senses, they, they are deeply disturbed and they're deeply afraid. And he says to them, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And he tells them the reason that I'm leaving is, is you. You're actually the reason that I'm leaving because I'm actually going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and take you to myself so that where I am, you will be also for all eternity. I don't know what words stuck in the disciples' minds as they went and ministered in Jesus' name, but I have to think that these are some of the words that stuck in their heads. That I'm going away to, to... prepare a place for you, and I'm going to come back and take you to myself so that where I am, you will be also. Do you you hang your hat on that? Is that something that ever drives your life? I mean, as I thought about this passage this week, and I thought about these words of Jesus, and I think about what drives my life, I'm not sure that that's usually it. Okay, it's not. But I think for the disciples, something about that stuck. A little further down, Jesus tells them that he's going to send a spirit, a helper, to be with them. And immediately after Jesus ascends, what do we see? We see Pentecost, and we see the spirit come and descend upon the believers, and they're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit so that the, the, the Spirit of Christ now literally dwells in them. The Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now dwells in them. And I wonder this morning if we remember the fact that that same Spirit, for those of us in Christ, now dwells in us. He says, I'm not leaving you. My spirit is going to come and it's going to dwell in you. In fact, he says in other places that it's better for me to go so that the spirit might dwell within you. He also addresses their fear of abandonment by telling them, 
early in, or late in chapter 13, this new commandment I give to you is that you love one another. And I think what Jesus is saying is like, you're not going to be alone. You have one another. Love one another. It's the reason that we talk about it so much here. And in the, the New Testament epistles talk about it all the time. Do not bite and devour one another. Why? Because if you bite and devour one another, what is the result of that? The result of that is actually more fear in your life, more disconnection. He says if you love one another, what you actually are experiencing is an outflowing of my love. And so church, love one another. And what about in verses 15, 21, and 23, kind of mixed in, with this whole monologue or dialogue is, is Jesus is saying one of, the, one of the reasons that you don't have to be afraid anymore and you don't have to feel abandoned by me because what I'm leaving you is actually my word. And he tells them over and over again in this passage to obey him. And, well, listen, I'll read some of it to you. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. In verse 21, he says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. See, he's trying to comfort them, and he's saying one of the ways that you will be comforted is you actually listen to me and you love me by keeping my commandments. Why? Because when you love me and obey me, you're actually doing what you were created to do. And even in your obedience, you will feel my presence. You will know that you're not alone. You know, I know some of us here this morning, we're maybe terrified, like we mentioned before, of being alone. We're terrified um, for very good reasons, because maybe we have been abandoned by somebody in the past. Maybe one of our parents um, took off at some point and left. Maybe somebody who was really supposed to love us and take, take, take care of us really hurt us. Maybe some of us have watched um, a spouse drift away and, um, and hurt us. Maybe we've watched a spouse pass away. Those are incredibly real fears. And Jesus is just simply saying to you this morning, I got nothing else for you. Jesus is saying, I'm not going to abandon you. Do you believe me? That's all I got. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to abandon you. And this does not mean that he's giving them an easy and predictable life because every one of these disciples is going to go out and face hardship and tribulation and persecution. And I think the thing that they're just grasping onto are these words that he left them in this room. And he's leaving them for us. Do we believe them? Are they life to us? You think about Paul writing, even though he wasn't in this room, he met Jesus on this road to Damascus, and, and Paul writes the majority of the letters of the New Testament. And where does he write them from? The majority of them he writes from a prison cell. And even in that cell, he says, I've learned to be content in all things. That's madness, that's lunacy, unless your contentment is completely coming from somewhere else. 
that he knows at that moment in that cell that was more filthy than anything any of us probably have ever experienced in our life, that Jesus was with him. That he was not abandoned. That he was not an orphan. They're afraid of abandonment, but they're afraid of not knowing the way. And how does Jesus address this? Maybe not the way that they wanted to address it, but Jesus just says in typical Jesus fashion, you know the way, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. And a lot of times this verse, you know, kind of gets pulled out of context in order to defend sort of the exclusive claims of Jesus. There is no other way to the Father except through Jesus. Sure, exactly, yes, I believe that. That's not why he's saying it in this passage. He's saying it to comfort you and to relieve your fears that you know the way. What is the way? There is only one way, and it is Jesus, and he has already found you, and he already knows you, and he already loves you, and eventually what they're going to see is he has forgiven me. If the root of our anxiety and fear is our separation from the Father and Jesus has come in the flesh to serve as our mediator to serve as both our priest and our sacrifice, then we don't, know, we don't have to know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't. And we don't have to be afraid anymore. We only have to know that this is true and that he loves us. And the disciple, disciple's life from this point, like I said, is going to be pretty crazy, and it's not going to look like what they had planned. Has anybody's life ever looked like what they planned? Anybody in the room? Raise your hand. (laughs) Has anybody been able to plan their life and then execute it to such a degree that it looked exactly like what they planned? In a few hours, all of them, even after hearing these words, all run away from Jesus. And they all abandon Jesus. They're not magically cured from their fears. But these promises of Jesus take their root in their life and just as they do in ours. And as fragile and as frail as they are, Jesus uses these people to build his church. He uses the men were in this room, but he also uses the ones um, who had walked with him through this journey towards the cross. Many of them, you know, before were caught in sin, who were prostitutes, who were outcasts, who were lepers who hadn't walked in 38 years, who had five husbands. He takes those people and he says, I am the way. And if, see, here's the thing. Those people who knew that there was nothing else knew that Jesus was the way. And Jesus says, I'm going to use you to build my church. I'm going to use you to build my kingdom. They didn't know the next step. They knew the way. Friends, if you know Jesus, you cannot lose the way because the way, it's not about you finding the right path. It's about Jesus finding you. And he can, if Jesus finds you, he's not going to let you go. What about death? We'll end with death. Um, this is the looming one. Like I said, this is the fear that looms the largest in their, in their minds because Jesus will die, and you can, can you imagine what that moment is like for them? Is everything that we 
thought was true to this point, not true. Now we feel utterly abandoned and we feel utterly alone and we really don't know what to do. But what they didn't know is that at that very moment, as Jesus dies, Jesus is conquering death forever. That Jesus is obliterating the bonds of sin and death over them. And you see in Jesus' death, he faces their worst fear, which is the full weight of the punishment for all of their sin. And he bore it and he broke it and he broke out of the grave And so some of these men, all of these men will die eventually. And some of them will die very grisly deaths. Some of them die as martyrs. But all of them seem to change after that moment. And they they seem to march towards death, even somewhat in the way that Jesus marched towards death. Because death was no longer victorious over them. And that even though they're going to die one day, they know that death does not have the final word and that they never have to face the utter darkness of death because what they knew and what we know as Christians is that even when we die, we are immediately with him. That our souls are immediately with him. And I just want to end this morning by asking you, do you know what this means? I mean, do you know, do we really know what this means for us? Do we see, do we see the effects of these words of Jesus in our own lives? Do we believe that Jesus really is who he says he is, that he is the Christ, that he is the Messiah, and in believing in him, I actually find that I have life in his name? Do we see that Jesus directly addresses our fears of, of abandonment, of being alone, of being lost, of not knowing the way, of even one day dying? Jesus is the only one who can address our fear. Jesus is the only one who can address our fear. And if we try to address our fear with productivity or religiosity or more hobbies that just sort of distract us or um, a life, a virtual life on social media, what we find is our fear just continues to increase. And only Jesus can lay our fears to rest because only Jesus is going to deal and has dealt with the root of all of our fear. Let me pray. Father, I pray that for us as a church, um, for a group of people who have confessed your name and who believe in you, I pray that what we would begin to see more and more in our lives is that these words of Jesus and the truth of these words are actually having a marked difference on the way that we live our life. I pray that you would keep us um, from cowering in life, that we would be honest about our fear, that we would be honest to you. But Father, I pray that the words of Jesus would take deep root in our hearts. Father, I pray that what would manifest from that is that we would see in our own neighborhoods, in our own families, a freedom that we have not felt before, um, that we would see a love that we have not experienced before. And, Father, that you would continue um, to use us to further this good news of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.